Welcome to Staking Mondays. Today on a Tuesday, I'm your host, Marian Walter. Uh, I'm head of strategy at Stake Rewards. And today it is my pleasure to welcome my extra special guest, Alex Forscher, who works for the Ant Labs and the Terra Classic community. Alex has 12 years of hedge fund experience as a senior analyst, primarily focused on the global consumer internet sector. In late 2021, he transitioned to a full-time DeFi researcher and trader. After UST's DPAC and Luna's collapse in May, Alex joined the Terra Rebels. They are a decentralized organization that aims to revitalize the Terra Classic ecosystem. Yesterday, Alex published a white paper for a new proposal to restructure Terra Classic's USTC, and I'm excited to have the first exclusive interview on this here on Stake Rewards. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you, Marion. Uh, very excited to be here. Shout out to my uh, my Jade and all my other fans in the Terra Classic community. Um, no, so um, where should we start? Yeah, I wanted to start right away with how you got involved with the Terra Classic recovery effort. Sure. So I I got really interested in in Luna UST probably in last fall. So I would say you know, almost exactly a year ago, I guess. Um, and that was around, that was at the same time that I was, I was transitioning full-time into this, into the company I work for today, it's, which is called End Labs. And it is a, it's basically a company that tries to link DeFi capital with like real world business, like loans and business yield. So, so I was getting very into crypto from like a professional level, as well as kind of applying my more TradFi um, like knowledge base to try to analyze these different, these different crypto uh, protocols. And, and Luna, Terra Luna was one of those that just really stood out from the beginning in so many ways, um, as just a very, a completely unique, um, asset, uh, to, to crypto that I think was always very poorly, un very poorly understood was definitely very poorly understood by me because I was one of the people who got wrecked in the in the May crash, um, and and because I'm like a super analytical person, I always and and I I'm really wrong in something that I had very high confidence in. It always it always makes me uh, really really exhaustively analyze kind of what went wrong and like make sure that to like not let that happen again. <clears throat> so. But at the same time, there were so many things about Terra that I think were like were made it really special, um, and and made it something that it like was worth preserving if it could be safely preserved. If that makes sense. Um, so like the decentralized, the, the using BTC, which is uh, uncensorable collateral, to back a stablecoin token. Um, that basically made made Terra like the first really independent stablecoin, like a, a stablecoin that was just independent of any government, um, independent of of like truly deregulated, basically. Um, and so I thought that was really cool and and really worth preserving if it could be. But um, but first I had to really figure out every single little thing that went wrong with it. Um, so I did. I did a bunch of work on that and 
And I, I'd say by late May, I kind of had like the very basic outlines in my head of the proposal that, that kind of was published yesterday. Um, and, and I shopped it around to a few, a few kind of crypto wall street types and didn't get anywhere. And the biggest comment was, well, we can't stake any tokens on this network. So like, it's a worthless network. Like, what, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, that's a great point. So, so then I was, I fell into this discord that somebody had posted a link to from the Terra Agora and, and it was the Terra Rebels discord. And, and it was very clear from a really, really early on listening to especially Tobias Anderson and Ed Kim, who are the two, I'd say the two technical leaders of, of the Terra Rebels. It was very clear that, that there was, that at the leadership level, there was a very different, this wasn't just like a random bunch of people getting together in the Discord. There was some like very high intellectual horsepower going into this effort. Um, and so that, that, inter that interested me immediately. And then, and then when Tobias gave his first presentation, as far as I know, the first public sort of public AMA in that discord, he basically laid out these, the very basic plan of how proof of stake could be restored, um, even though Terraform Labs had disabled it ostensibly as a safety measure, uh, as a network safety measure. Um, and, and when I heard from him that proof of stake could be restored, even though it had been like completely crippled and taken away. Then I thought, oh, well, like then my crazy idea that that fell on its face to to kind of crypto Wall Street people, like maybe it could actually work um, if this gets done. So I'm a I'm a very weak kind of coder, but I have a lot more kind of expertise on the financial engineering sides, and I knew that that if the stable coin or some replacement for the stable coin were to be relaunched, then I would almost certainly have a lot to offer that effort. So, so I immediately kind of plunged into that, to that, that whole effort and, um, and kind of participated where I could, but my main focus was always on sort of restructuring or reconfiguring the stable coin in a way that was legally sound, like, like Terra Rebels, people wouldn't get sued if if uh, if if it was restructured. It was also like as sound as possible to like the community for like dilution purposes, uh, or like like coming up with the capital needed to back a stablecoin uh, or a stablecoin like uh, instrument. Um, operationally sound in terms of like actual like talking with people like Ed and Tobias and seeing like what could actually be implemented on a technical level. And then all these other, you know, checking all the boxes that you need to check. And, um, and once staking was, so then fast forward like two or three months to like late August when proof of stake was restored to the network, that I think to, to institutional investors was a huge game changer for for Terra Classic because at that point but before staking was restored it was like there was not like one token one vote there were like 300 million tokens on the network that that had all the votes on a network that was like 6.9 trillion tokens so it was it was a lot more like a dictatorship of everybody from before the crash 
who who called all the shots. And if you had gone out and bought a lunk token yourself, you you would literally have nothing. You couldn't do anything with it. You couldn't stake it. But once Ed and Tobias and the Terra Rebels were sort of proof of stake, that changed. And so that like restored the governance premium to the network and and caused was a catalyst, I think, for this really big run up. Um, and then and then once that was done, the community kind of plunged into this you know, productive debate around kind of what the logical next step should be. Hmm. And and so my proposal was which I worked very closely with um, with Ed, uh, Edward Kim and Max Bryan on was is kind of one of probably three um, proposals that I think will come out that will be sort of kind of determine what what direction the community the community goes or there might be more. I don't know. I, I know of three specific ones that I think are pretty highly developed. And so this went live um, yesterday. Uh, tell us a little bit about what is in the proposal. Just walk us through on a on a high base level. All right, I'll I'll do my best without being a you know a professor, a boring professor, because it's it's like twenty pages long, and I think it was way too long in hindsight. But basically, I guess basically the proposal says okay. We've identified these these pools of assets on the network that that belong to various parties that we we think we can basically Robin Hood these assets and and move them. Um, you know, they were involved with um, let's say parties heavily associated with the crash that are that are kind of in the process of of, un of winding themselves down, and we can if we could like repurpose those assets to be the collateral for uh a new a successor kind of dual token to the dual token mechanism that's better then then that would be a great thing to do for the community and it would be if it was done right it would be a really unique asset to bring to the crypto ecosystem right um because when when people hear stable coins they automatically glaze over they think this is like the most boring topic in crypto um, but stable coins are actually like this really complicated market where all these different stable coins like DAI or FRAX or USDC um, or uh, or U or USK, which is the new like Kujira Cosmos stable coin. They're all they all kind of try to fill out these different different markets, and so it's not just enough. It's not enough to just have like a successor stable token uh, uh, or out you know. Uh, fungible token, algorithmic fungible token is what I call it, um, because I think what we're doing is not does not fit into the stablecoin category and should definitely not be marketed as such ever. Um, but I think so. I guess the question, the the paper attempts to say, okay, like here's here's how we would basically take these assets that are scattered around and do a bunch of financial engineering. And and uh, and then come up with a new product for the community that's competitive, that's compelling, that will that has a good chance of seeing really strong adoption by the broader crypto crypto market because it's doing something unique. So at a very high level, it says, okay, we have about we we can basically 
take 300 billion LUNC tokens or so that are sitting, that are already community owned, that are sitting in smart contracts. We can, we can, we could mint or not mint um, another, I'd say 400 to 600 billion, uh, depending on a whole bunch of variables. Um, so this is where the whole minting question comes in, which is technically not necessary uh, in order to do this. Um, and I'll get into that later. Um, but basically we have 300 LUNC that's sitting in the Oracle Rewards distributor right now. We don't have to, we can take that and, and repurpose that if the validators approve it in governance. We can use that as like the basic collateral for a new, for like a, a successor to the old dual token system. Because we know, we know that in the prior system, uh, Doquan and Terraform Labs had, seemed like they were targeting maybe a 20% collateralization level of, of outside collateral like BTC for their stable coin. And that clearly was not enough. Like that was, that was too aggressive of a strategy. And um, it seems pretty clear that anything that tries to be a successor to that needs to have significantly more reserves than that if if it's going to be genuinely safe and if it's going to have market credibility so when i was talking to institutional investors in in like may their consensus was that a bare minimum if you're going to go with a, a decentralized collateral like btc that's pretty volatile the bare minimum threshold you need for market credibility and safety would be about 50 percent and so I settled on a 60% or so level um, as kind of what I think would, would make sense, just, just basically based on those conversations and that would have to be tested in a much more rigorous way. But, um, but that was how I got to this kind of 60% collateralization level for a, you know, for our, our new token. Maybe um, on that note, what about the problem that in general, um such type of an quasi stable coin it's not a stable coin let's call it quasi stable coin for simplicity reasons um it will only get under stress in times of uh, all overall market distress and then uh, at this stage the value of the collateral will be also very much distressed so mm -hmm. it's like um the mechanism itself it only needs to work in the worst cases um how do you how do you deal with that problem yeah so so that's a great question so so terra in the old in the old version that blew up it had it had its btc reserves that was like one layer of defense and it also had this very experimental and sophisticated uh, capital control system um that that was kind of this ongoing experiment and it clearly didn't work. It clearly, that clearly needs a bunch of changes, but, um, but those were the two really big uh, stability mechanisms that, that Terra had before. So uh, if you were gonna go with a, with a version that tries to improve that, you, you should have significantly higher reserves. You should have better capital controls and you should also not do the anchor protocol, um, which 
that I think was actually Terra Classic's biggest biggest flaw. Like that was the thing that killed it more than anything else because it it basically gathered this huge amount of assets uh, that could like run out the door at any time and was getting like unsustainably high yields because those yields were just sort of set by whoever was controlling the anchor protocol. Um, so probably in very close coordination with Terraform Labs, not not like the market, not like Ave or Compound or these these more decentralized DeFi protocols that that did not have these problems. Partly because like they let the market set their interest rates, whereas Anchor just kept a really high rate when everybody else's rates were going down, and that caused this huge amount of money to flow into Anchor, which then all ran out the door at once, and that that blew the system up. So, so we would have them. So our design would be way, way safer on that level, but then it's still, ha- you still have the question of like, okay, let's say you have $2 billion worth of, of fungible token uh, and a billion dollars worth of BTC. And then you have however many billion dollars of LUNC. Those are like your two collateral uh, collateralizations for the this the the quasi stable coin. Um, what happens if like a nuclear bomb goes off somewhere and and all crypto is down seventy percent the next second, and suddenly the amount of crypto backing your stable token? This is just like the most ridiculous like like uh, edge case scenario, but it's one that the protocol needs to be able to deal with if it happens. So what happens if like you know, suddenly all your crypto collateral is down at least 70%. Um, and you just have this giant amount of bad debt now that was previously backed by all this, you know, all the crypto money that you had. So, so we have a system that, that deals with that. And basically, basically the way it deals with it is we have this, the, the reserve, the BTC reserve is, is, tr- is bro- broken into, into tranches, what we call them. Um, and each tranche buys back BT buys back the stable token at a success successively lower price, um, so that so and it all but it also re-racks itself based on price changes in BTC basically. So if if uh, if BTC dropped by by ninety by or let's say by seventy percent in an instant, right? you instead of having 10 tranches with 500 million dollars total like 50 50 50 50 of a btc you now have uh you now have 150 million dollars of btc and so only the bottom three tranches would be filled with btc so those would target repurchasing the stable token at like you know, 15 cents, 25 cents, 35 cents. So, so that would, those would be the levels at which the reserve would, would engage and, and buy back uh, stable, the, the quasi-stable coins. So that the idea being that at some price, the protocol is able to completely retire all of the, all of the stable coin issues, quasi-stable coins in circulation, thus making a death spiral impossible. Did I go way nutty professor on that answer <laughs> or was that, was that comprehensible? So I think, um, yeah, it is comprehensible for our audience to, to dig in. Um, maybe, I mean, what you're doing, let's, let's put on, 
um, the view of traditional finance here is this trying to restructure an over indebted system, right? And now you need to assign who gets the benefit of assets and who is basically uh, being damaged by his assets being written off. Mm -hmm. How did you go about um, weighting these different pros and cons? Because uh, from the yeah. comment section, we get a lot of uh, questions around the minting, uh, yeah. whether things could be different and so on. Please uh, yeah. walk us through this decision model that yeah. you have. So, so let me think here for a second the key question so in terms of like, like really the the minting which is somewhat optional but at the same time um ultimately the minting is not absolutely necessary to have a btc backed um a quasi stable coin in circulation um, it can theoretically be done only with existing assets but what you do when you do that is you basically nuke all of the current USTC holders when when you when, if you were to just say we're gonna we're gonna basically write you off and we're not gonna give you any compensation for the lost for like the the stable tokens that you had that to me is is no different than what Do Kwon did when Do Kwon kind of walked out the door in in mid May or mid to late May and said I have a new chain we're kind of backdating everything to to before the crash started uh, and then they, they ended up changing it so they didn't really do they didn't totally do that but they kind of still did and and that to me was fundamentally um that felt fundamentally unfair i experienced that myself um because i had bought significantly more lunc on its way down and if you're if you're one of those people you you got absolutely torched and and that always felt like um so that always felt kind of kind of uh, unfair, um, and and also I guess from the perspective of like growing the community or like 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 creating a narrative that's really really good to people outside the community. It's like if you diluted yourself a tiny like three percent more, you could like and kind of extended a helping hand to these people, a lot of whom are not a lot of whom were, were crushed um, pretty badly themselves. You, you create an amazing market narrative, an, an amazing kind of like, like, you know, we're not just in it for ourselves. Like we're actually like putting back together what was broken before. Um, and you're bringing on however many tens of thousands of USTC holders there were who, instead of being, you know, you know, very disappointed people, you're, um, you're, you're bringing them into the community at a very low cost. Like those are additional users who will be like happy to use whatever services you build next. And and that's actually to me from as a bit from a business side, that's actually like a very cheap customer acquisition cost, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I thought it was it was a it was a very clever uh, way to approach that. But um, but that part of the minting like has been very has not been received well. Um, and and that might ultimately not um, not be able to might we won't pass governance. Um, Maybe just to, to simplify again. So who's bearing the brunt right now in your proposal? 
and who is sure. so, all, so, all, so all these all these numbers can be like toggled to change the to change the burdens but basically right now if you are if you are a LUNC holder today which which I am I'm pretty much completely an LUNC personally um, between the two um, if you're a, if you're an LUNC holder today you you would get diluted I'd say the realistic range would be like four to eight percent uh, four to nine percent depending on so I it's seven in seven percent and then like the example numbers that I used um you're you're and in return you have a stable coin like thing token that that has significant circulation uh kind of like almost 200 million us dollars worth of initial circulation which um uh which is which is actually important because if you like i could start a stable a stable coin tomorrow with like you know a hundred dollars in circulation right i could i could write some code i could I could fire it up. I could put. I could buy, you know, a hundred dollars of Bitcoin. I could mint two hundred dollars of of tokens. Boom! I have a fifty percent collateralized uh, stablecoin, right? But, but who cares? Like nobody would want to use that because it's not recognized or or understood everywhere. And so basically, when if you're going to launch a stablecoin like thing, you there is a critical mass that you need to hit in order for it to have to to have like adoption credibility which i think is around 200 million us dollars um in in circulation so so i kind of geared the numbers in terms of like how i could have maybe a 60 percent backed stablecoin like token that that could get have about 200 million us dollars worth in initial circulation because that would make the adoption rate much much faster uh, and where do you deduct the 200 million threshold from why do i why do i think 200 million is like mm -hmm. the magic um i don't there's no there's no uh way to prove what that number is um it could be it could be 150 it could be it could be more i think i think once you hit um on a market cap of around that a lot of logistics get easier like in terms of applying to a centralized exchange to list it um a centralized exchange is always going to be very it's going to be a much faster conversation if you already have like 150 million plus market cap like the, the, what the centralized exchanges don't want to do is let anybody list like five million dollars of scam coin of some scam token that they minted like they don't want to be known for for like listing these rug pull tokens because that tarnishes their brand. Um, but if you but if you clearly have a big community and have a, a really vocal, uh, you know, a, a big support base, then then you've already cleared those kind of those credibility hurdles. I think it's basically so, the asset that you wield uh, as a new upcoming. Yeah, and yeah, and post. and it makes it easier to to expand the cross chain liquidity that you need to like further grow the adoption of it. Right. So so that was why that was something I, I did a really bad job of explaining in my paper. But I think but yeah, like you could, you know, we could, we could, in, instead of doing an equivalent 97% burn of USTC, you know, we're using a new token, but 
we could burn 98% of it and, and instead, or 98.5%. And then we, we'd start out with like 100 million of stable token in circulation backed by 60 million of BTC, which we would have gotten totally from like community owned assets already. We could do that, um, but in that event, we wouldn't be giving USTC holders anything, which to me feels very unfair uh, and also kind of like an unforced error in terms of, or like a missed opportunity in terms of marketing and uh, and narrative and bringing them back in from the cold. Um, and, um, and also the adoption curve would be significantly slower if you're starting out at 75 or 100 million as opposed to hmm. 175 or 200 million so uh, in terms of being the devil's advocate here uh, would you say or how much would you say has the uh, amount of time that has passed since the depegging and the whole meltdown of uh, the original terra project uh, mm -hmm. until the the aims to repack things right now has cooled off community interest. So how quickly, let's say, put it this way, how quickly is your asset, meaning the community engagement deteriorating over time? Uh, the community engagement, I'd say, so this gets into the a separate kind of mud fight about around the, the burn tax, which um, I'll I'll try not to get too sidetracked on it because um, it's a very, it's its own contentious kind of debate. But basically I'd say from the, during the whole re-enabling staking um, and after that, I'd say, you know, community engagement has been very, very strong. I mean, uh, and it has been growing very steadily. I think it's very it's hard to do these apples to apples comparisons across chains because different chains and like they count different things as transactions and they and the way you like get paid rewards can count differently but i think if you looked at nansen's num nansen.ai's numbers terra classic as of a month let's say a month and a half ago had significantly more like genuine daily active unique wallets than Avalanche did, which is a network that's five times, five or six times uh, LUNC's market cap. Um, and that interest went up until the burn tax was instituted. Um, it was basically a Tobin, a transaction tax, like a Tobin tax to, to try to, um, to, to try to burn, to deflate the supply of, of LUNC. And, and I think it's safe to say that that, that tax did not, um, it does not deliver kind of what it was supposed to deliver in terms of kind of what it was expected to deliver, let's say. Um, so that's kind of pushed the narrative now to, okay, like what is the burn tax is fine. We're trying it out. Like the community overwhelmingly wanted it. Um, now probably not so much, but in any case, like what is the next what's like the logical next path. Yeah. And so the next path was always some kind of successor to the, the, the old, you know, stable coin Luna model. And what is that going to look like? And so I think, I think, you know, on-chain transactions went down a lot. Um, I think 
transactions on, I think maybe like like 80 plus, 80% plus, um, which you'd, ex you'd expect, right? You'd expect a really big drop in, in transaction volumes to happen as a reaction if your tax is going up by like a thousand percent, which is what it did. Um, so, so like, I think the community engagement is, if anything, it's like as high as it's ever been in terms of like, if you look on Twitter or anything like that, but in terms of like transaction volumes, it's down, it's definitely down a ton on chain and it's probably down a little bit on the centralized exchanges, which, which can basically batch a huge number of, of trades into one on-chain trade. And so they can kind of avoid 95 or 99% of the tax. Hmm. What made you pick BTC exclusively as collateral as opposed, for example, to ETH? Um, because BTC, it's, it's the most decentralized, uh, in terms of, I mean, no one can ever like take your BTC away or, or sanction, or I guess black, maybe blacklist your, your address. Uh, I guess they could still refuse to accept your address, but it's, 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 it's basically 99% uncensorable unless every mine, maybe unless like every miner in the colluded against you or something, but it's effectively uncensorable. And it's also uh, much less correlated to all the like Ethereum or any, you know, Avalanche or any competitor to Ethereum. Those are all smart contracts, L1s. So, so those all tend to be leveraged to the same DeFi things that, that outperform a ton during crypto bubbles and then underperform a ton during crypto crashes. So all those all those Ethereum and Ethereum competitor networks they make their money on DeFi activity, which is always it, it booms very hard and then it busts very hard. BTC doesn't have that issue because it's not really smart contract. It's just it's much more like digital gold. It, it's like inert. So so it always outperforms during crypto bear markets, which is what you want to see in the in the the crypto in the your choice of collateral, especially because the LUNC is your other really big source of collateral, and that's probably doing best case scenario. That's probably doing the best that doing the same thing Ethereum is doing uh, in a crypto bear market, which is it's probably going down a lot. So, so you want your collateral to have as much different characteristics as possible as like your your native your your LUNC, um, but you also you also don't want it to be like dollars or gold or some like physical asset because those are, excuse me, those are completely regulated by the government. Those could be censored at any time and the government could, could literally pull the plug on your protocol tomorrow morning and by saying you can't redeem this money if like your currency peg is under stress or something and you would have nothing to defend your currency peg with and you, you'd have a death spiral on your hands, which is, which we can't risk especially in a regulatory environment like this. So you have to have collateral that you can completely, that your protocol can completely control. What was your process of assessing the risk of regulation? So um, when I was checking the white paper, I saw extensive thought being put in um, the view regulators, especially in the United States have on other stable coin projects. Uh, and you make 
very sure about the subtleties to keep in mind when marketing the product or rather not marketing it. Um, what was your way to assess this? And do you have, in a way, standing relationships uh, into these let's, echelons or whatever to see how how people from that side of the aisle would react to this proposal? So I don't, I don't have any magic, uh, you know, crystal ball or insight into the SEC or any other major U.S. regulator that would. Um, I think nobody can really predict. You know, it, it's very much a hope for better, prepare for the worst kind of uh, kind of a thing. I think, um, and that's really unfortunate, but but that's the reality we live in, and I think. Currently, as far as I know, there is not a legal definition of a stable coin in the, in the U.S. law. I mean, there's there's no legal there's no legal uh, there's there's very heavy legal um, blocks against even calling any crypto any any crypto even a security. Um, the you know Gary Gensler and a lot of regulators they will they will insist very loudly that they think it is. But they actually have very poor basis in the law for that, uh, for asserting that. And and there have been a couple of really important Supreme Court decisions recently that have really limited U.S. regulators' ability to just kind of assert things and then push the burden of proof onto the little guy to prove that they don't have jurisdiction over this. Because mm. before 2022, U.S. regulators would they would just they just assert jurisdiction over they would just say this random thing you know this puddle in your on your farm is you know we at the environmental protection agency have jurisdiction over it because it's a puddle and that's like you know wet you know wetlands rules or i'm, I'm serious this stuff was like very common and and this was getting like more out of control for like 10 years and then and then the supreme court really kneecapped that practice over the summer. And so I think that's actually part of why you see Gary Gensler and, you know, very crypto hawkish regulators. Now they're like, they're much louder about, you know, throwing bombs in public because their actual grounding in the law has actually gotten much worse. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's been very weakened. And so, but yeah, but I think, um, I would also say that what we're trying to do is is not like a stablecoin. It is not like USDC or BUSD. Or um, now, if if there were another proposal that came out and it said, "Okay, we're going to have USDC as our collateral," for example, then I would say, "Okay, if, if that's what you do, then then you know whatever the successor to USDC is, then then that's a stablecoin because you're." You're using a cash, a U.S. dollar cash equivalent as your one-to-one -one collateral, and you're really no different from, from a, you're no different from USDC. Uh, you're just terra wrapped. So I call that uh, wrapped U.S. the wrapped USDC approach, and like that would definitely be very safe, but it would also there would be no use for it. There'd be no reason for anyone to to use that over USDC, right? So. Um, so yeah, the 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 thought um, Terra in the past in its past versions, you could tell if you understood it really well, you could tell 
that Do Kwan put a ton of thought into making the architecture of the protocol not just different from a like like a, you know the stablecoin Luna's to stablecoin dual token model and all that, but even how the currency peg is is done by third party agents. That's a key. Uh, legal invalidation. That's a key legal defense against the idea that that Terra should be regulated like a stablecoin, because in that case, it's not actually the protocol that is defending it. It's not some CEO somewhere who is making a decision to like defend the currency. It's a, it's something that he doesn't control, and and so so Terra so Doquan built Terra. To, all, a lot of Terra's uniqueness revolved around how carefully built it was around both the law and network you know, its network architecture and everything that that it was it was just decentralized on all these other dimensions and kind of kind of beyond the scope of of stablecoin law. And that's something at least that's how it seemed to me. And that those features I think made it very valuable and unique in the eyes of Terra's investors and institutional investors in the past. And I think they're, they're worth preserving because that gives you an independence with that and an ability to do things that you can't do if you are transacting in USDC or in, you know, in BUSD. Good. So, Again, trying to to wrapping it up. Uh, if you were, if you would try to explain it to a twelve year old, how how your proposal works, um, could you could you start an, an attempt at it? Let's say. All right. Yeah, I just realized you asked me that like forty five minutes ago, and I went twenty seven <laughs> other directions. Um, okay, you. You take existing network resources, you do a bunch of financial engineering, you move them around to launch a successor to UST, USTC that is Bitcoin backed, this 60% Bitcoin backed. Then to whatever extent possible, you, you also, and if the community supports it, you also give something back to the USTC holders that's material to them and kind of brings them back into the fold as well. And you probably do things with the with that um, that extra LUNC that you'd have to mint, like you you can you could auto stake it, you could lock it up for X number of months, you could do these various things that that uh, that could prevent it from being dumped onto the market. You, that's all that can all be controlled by the community. Um, so so you can definitely manage around that. You can manage around how much LUNC you want to give to USTC holders as sort of compensation for collapsing their debt, uh, that collapsing that bad debt. And finally, you you do away with the 9.5 billion of bad debt. So so the the 9.8 billion USTC that's that ex tokens that exist right now, that's like a bad debt. And it has a market cap of about $300 million. So call it 9.5 billion of bad debt. That 9.5 billion needs to be written off in one way or another. So it needs to go through a, the equivalent of a debt restructuring process. And so whenever you do a debt restructuring process in traditional finance, you basically 
the, the debt holders get together in a room and they're like, okay, this business is completely screwed, like under its current debt load, it, it won't survive. Every employee will quit and, and we'll just have like empty buildings. So we need to like restructure the debt. So we all need to agree to take a hit, take a big hit on our debt. And we need to get some more equity into the future of this business. If it, if it recovers and takes off again, then we get something out of it. We get compensated for it in that way. So that's how any traditional finance debt to equity restructuring works. So, so that was, that was kind of the template that I, that I tried to apply to, to Terra Classic. Um, and, and so, and because we have so much bad debt that we need to, to burn away, we do need to, I mean, we're, we're trying to burn 97% of it essentially, um, through this process. So, so that's what we're trying to do. Um, and, and that's, that's where that the, the, the protocol to, to kind of leave the past behind and, and have a functioning quasi stable point again and have a functioning like like internal economy again and that's where the pushback uh, is coming from for from the no minters saying um don't because they would actually be the ones take the hit uh, yeah every i mean every LUNC holder would be, would be taking that variable hit whether that hit is zero because they they don't want to they just don't want to underwrite it or whether it's a few percent uh or or you know yeah they would have to agree to that and and it might be that politically that part is just not doable uh which to me would feel like a missed opportunity but i don't it's it's up to the community at the end of the day so how will the governance and decision process look like for the proposal from here on now moving forward what are the next steps that need to be taken well i think there are, i know of at least two other credible proposals being being made i think one of them i think tobias anderson is is kind of heading up one of them i think that from from what i know and I, it could be different but from kind of in earlier versions that i've discussed about it seems to follow much more of like of an ample fourth type of a model uh, from what I understand and then I think there's also a, a a proposal that might follow more of a wrapped US USDC model um, you know, so those are kind of like the the two other paths that that I think this could take um, and I think the the I think The community will vote, right? The, there's there's 700 billion or whatever not amount LUNC that are staked across 83-ish validators, and so the validators will vote. And then and on Terra Classic, the community any community member can like override the validators vote right? um, if they don't like the validators vote. So really, everybody can just vote pretty normally, and. And that'll be the that'll be the decision. What are the best? What is the best case scenario for you? And um, please also then go into what could go wrong. What what other ways? Best case scenario for my proposal or for me personally? I would say uh, for your proposal and the whole um, let's say Terra Rebel revitalization 
um, mm -hmm. of the ecosystem. I think the best case scenario for the community is that it picks the best idea and that best idea becomes a, a very widely adopted quasi stable coin that that burns, you know, that, you know, restarts the the the, the, the two way swap and and burns, you know, trillions of LUNC in circulation. And so I think the, the, the business question that the community needs to decide is what kind of a quasi stable coin is going to 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 have the uniqueness uh, and differentiation that will that will cause it to be widely adopted? Is it going to be something kind of like what UST was before, which is what I try to do in my proposal? Is it going to be something like an ample fourth, which has a zero chance, which requires very low collateralization and has uh, um, but it's all and has like no chance of a death spiral, but also nobody wants to use it because it has these insanely tight capital controls. Or is it like a wrapped USDC type of idea, which is uh, very safe, but is also not unique and there'd be no reason to use it over USDC in general. So I think I think the, the community needs to make like a, a cost benefit analysis of kind of it needs, to, it needs to really have like a question of like what kind of a quasi stable coin does it want to go with and then to what extent does it want to sort of rope in the the USTC holders who as opposed to kind of do do what Doquan did and and kind of write them off which I think I mean that did not play well publicly at all when he did it and I'm not I don't I I don't think it would look good to people outside the Terra Classic community if we did the same thing. How? What's the standpoint of VCs uh, on this proposal and other competing proposals, or in general? So, what I would be most interested in is like a map of the different factions that exist in this battle. I'd say, from my own conversations, I think. I think the, the 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 institutional investors, let's say, were very very interested after staking was re-enabled, and I think they very aggressively sponsored um, you know sponsored the token. I think there was a lot of buying, um, but I think I think that did a one eighty when the burn tax happened. Um, and I think they they thought they said at that point like this. This will break. This will not deliver what people want. It'll break the network. This means that there will be like a new period of a very high governance volatility, which means that if you're an app, if you're a, a DApp developer, you, you're not going to know like like how is your DApp going to work economically? Like if it's getting hit by this like unpredictable tax policy, and you're, you're basically going to cause all the key ecosystem actors to like stay away until things settle down and rationalize. And, um, and I, I talked a lot, of, you know, so, so I think the, the, the institutional side kind of, kind of left after the burn tax was, was clearly going to pass. And I don't think they would come back until that changes because they would see this as very economically destructive. I think, and then you have like the, the a very large retail holder base of um, people that bought Luna Classic before the crash, 
I'm sorry, I'm sorry, bought it after the crash, who, um, you know, they're, they're kind of newer to crypto in general and, and very focused on, on LUNC and like, what, what does a proposal do for LUNC? And they're not, they're not shedding a whole lot of tears over USTC holders or they're like, well, that, and that is a very reasonable, it's a reasonable argument. It's like, well, they, they made their own bet and, and, you know, it's not our problem if, if, you know, uh, that they got, that they got run over in their own way. And then you have the people, I'd say the legacy, the people who were involved in, on in either USTC, UST or Luna before and are still involved today. And I think that is a much smaller group that's like more simple. Um, you know, more sympathetic to the UST holders and, and probably a lot more attentive to, to like what made Terra, the Terra stablecoin unique from other stablecoins in the first place. And so I, I feel like I'm kind of like a mix of that camp and, and institutional camp more. Um, but I also think those are the two groups of people that are probably a little more like standoffish right now and kind of waiting, waiting for policy to get cleared up and waiting for like, they want to invest in an ecosystem recovery story, right? They want, they want to invest in a buildable ecosystem where people, where, where top talent app developers want to come in. They know what they're getting. They're eager to build here. That's, that's what a VC wants to do because that's what, that's what mean that means growing utility that means that means growing everything and 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 they would figure well the growth the growth will ultimately pay for pay for all the current problems 10 times over if it's successful uh as opposed to a much more like deflation centric approach that will reduce the supply at some rate, but it will also make the ecosystem very, very hard to build on uh, while it's in progress. So if the deflation could be done in three or six months because all the centralized exchanges help us, uh, that that would be a credible trade for the ecosystem to make. But if, if it's gonna take 30 years instead of three months, then that probably means the crypto industry is going to pass us by very quickly and leave us in the dust in the dust while we're we're like waiting for supply to shrink. So that's kind of like the political high level situation to me. What are the most common questions that you get asked that we maybe didn't cover yet in this conversation? I think the minting, so the, min, the whole minting side is is huge um much louder than all the other ones um there are a lot there are a lot of more intricate legal questions but i'm trying to think of like uh i can go look on my twitter feed and see kind of the questions people have there uh, Some, um somebody was asking about a collaboration with zarada yes yeah, um, yeah so zardar is is tobias anderson um yeah i mean i think if uh his system is some sort of, as I understand it, is some sort of uh, upgrade of the capital control system. And there's no question that, that a bunch of upgrades need to happen. 
on the capital control system because it, it didn't work the way it was supposed to in May. Um, so, so yeah, there's no reason why what I'm doing is exclusive with what he's trying to do, but it sounds like based on some more recent uh, messaging that he's made that he now sees this as a standalone system that does not need any further minting or um, or anything. So, so I, I don't know. Um, I'd have to kind of see his white paper and, and talk to him about it before I guess I have a complete understanding of that. And I think I think what I'm trying to do would, is completely not is a completely different path from the the wrapped USDC approach. That that's like philosophically just the opposite direction that I'm going in. Now maybe more a question on you personally. What were the biggest learnings from all of your intense engagement with the community and with this proposal? What 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 stood out to you the most? Sorry, I laughed because is that real, Mia? The question from Fat Man is Alex actually dope on wearing a prosthetic mask? No, it's definitely it's definitely not. Um, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. What was your question? Yeah, question again uh, before getting sidetracked by Fat Man is um, your biggest learnings from your intense engagement with the uh, Terra Rebels community and this uh, proposal. I learned an insane amount from Ed and Tobias about how like Cosmos networks work and how Tendermint consensus works and how all kinds of little pieces of like the inner plumbing of how tarot is supposed to work. Um, so, so I think from, from an educational perspective, it was, it was awesome. Um, and I think from a community, I'm a very introverted guy by nature and I'm, I'm, I'm not the most thin, thick skinned guy either. So it was, it was also my first experience of like dealing with thousands of people, uh, and like with very, very different levels of understanding about what you're trying to do. Right. And so just that whole, that's been an ongoing learning experience for sure. Um, but it's been fun. There are definitely days where it's not fun. Uh, but, but overall it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. Um, what yeah. is the best way for people to follow, follow you, what you're working on and, uh, to engage with you directly? I just say, follow my, my Twitter account. It's, uh, it's just, so it's, it's kind of styled after my discord handle from terrible. So it's, uh, it's four outlex underscore four Shaw at uh, uh underscore, TR. underscore tr right yeah 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 we have it also in the yeah. in the running uh yeah. running band down there yeah okay and maybe I have a some time to keep going i don't know how hard uh hard capped you are on time but i could probably go for a few more minutes yeah sure um i just wanted to open the floor let's say to comments from your side uh questions or comments that you want wanted to elaborate on uh just uh, you mean just like other closing thoughts kind of thing or yeah, like um Im important things that you didn't mention already oh which are important for um, the audience to know and to consider i said one thing 
this is not really related to kind of like the, the, the politics right now, but it's, it's one thing that I think is worth putting out into the public domain that I think is really interesting. Um, is a really interesting kind of learning experience for me was, so when, when, when Luna crashed and, and I lost, you know, a hurtful amount of money over it, um, I was probably the biggest hater of Do Kwan uh, you could find anywhere. And, and which is also backed by your, um, by your publishing activity. Yes. Here uh, on Staking Rewards, by the way. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, and, and I think it was very interesting to watch uh, as the, the parlay with Terraform Labs and Do Kwan, and I guess indirect, more indirectly kind of went on. Um, it was just quite constructive overall, I would say on both, on both levels. Um, and I'd say does not fit the profile of, of a guy with a red nose and Doquan specifically does not really fit, um, fit the profile of a guy with a red notice out on him and, you know, criminal mastermind, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, I mean, my own my you know, my own communications with him have been pretty limited and pretty like like very specific and business like. Um, but I'd have to say they were all constructive. I'd have to say, and also, and as we were kind of cleaning up and fixing things internally, um, we found a lot of things that I know in a couple cases TFL and Doquan must have known about uh, because they had published things about those things before um things that could have been exploited very badly for like like tens tens of millions of dollars uh that were not exploited and uh and other actions that they did that actually um showed a special care to be like unexploitive, even when like the public perception of them was the opposite. And they didn't even really try to clear the public perception of it. And maybe they don't, maybe they, there was just too much other stuff going on that they, that they don't know. But, um, but we, yeah, so I think that's one sort of like piece of information that is maybe worth mentioning. Um, uh, I mean, we still have a very, like, extremely arm's length, like, distance from TFL and stuff. But I think a lot of individual TFL people have been really helpful to us in in our efforts to kind of pick the pieces, put the pieces back together. And it just does not fit the profile of a criminal organization or even even a criminal or a criminal CEO on the run from what we can tell. It almost. I mean, we, I mean, no, I don't think anyone's going to know, or like have, even be able to judge Juan until like all his transactions across all the chains are mapped. And I don't know if that's even possible, but a part of me almost wonders if it's more of like a, like a Carlos Ghosn situation than, a, you know, like Do Juan was like the, you know, when Terra blew up, he just embarrassed his country. And if you know Koreans, they're like the most ethno-nationalistic pride 
tribe in the world. And if you are in Dope Bond's position, you're just like, okay, like, like, I just disgraced my country. I'm dead. Like, no matter, there's not substantive due process here that, that's going to be in play here. And maybe I'm better off, I'm better off kind of, I don't know, um, fighting in my defense from, you know, wherever he is, as opposed to, and like having a lot more resources to reconstruct what that defense might look like. Um, uh, but I would say, I, I, yeah, I, I just think the whole kind of TFL constructiveness side of the story is, is a story that has not yet really been told. Um, and I think it's worth talking about. So after being vocal about it uh, here on Stake Rewards right now, you are actually uh, taking much, much softer stance and um, you are inviting also the, the public. Yes, I am, I, am, I, am, I am aggressively hedging those comments based on prior, based on new information and new evidence, yes. One uh, question from the audience here, which I think is, is good because it's very specific, is um, whether you have already spoken to the three major validators about this proposed plan of yours, as they have um, almost complete control over the voting power. Um, I've kind of put it out there. I think, I mean, anybody knows where to find me, right? Um, I, I think I'm, I'm in a couple different Discord servers, I think, with, with them. So, yeah, I, th there's a lot of politics going on. And I think, I think if you're, if you're, if you're in their shoes, you've got to see all the credible ideas and you've got to, you know, there, it's hard for a validator to, to evaluate my idea until he's seen Zeradar, Tobias Anderson's idea and, and the one or two other ideas that have had a lot of a lot of thought put into them. So and maybe there are more that we don't know about yet, or that you know. Um, um, so I think, yeah, if I, I would say it would feel too early for me to just like like knock on their door and say, hey, like, give you know, where are your votes? Give me your votes. Like, I, I don't think that's the the right thing for the community or the right call for a validator to do right now. With the whole backstory of um, yeah governance and staking with this instance, uh, what would you say uh, could the whole terror story serve as a case study for? So what did we learn uh, from from this in terms of governance and staking? I think I think that that story is is not yet written. I think I think Terra Classic is an amazing. It, like it's like it, like it contains like the best and the worst. It, it, it's such an amazing like like uh, encapsulation of like the best and the worst of everything in crypto, right? Like you had this uh, Lehman Brothers you know, Lehman Brothers of crypto event that just just um, just blew up. You had Uh, a founder who, who definitely looked lo a lot more like Elizabeth Holmes and a lot less like Carlos Ghosn, uh, you know, the guy who was smuggled out of, of a Japan in a briefcase because uh, he thought that the odds were stacked too, too high against him. And, you know, 
when he was being tried for corruption as the CEO of Nissan or whatever. Um, uh, you know, you have that story, you have like these, these experts coming together from all over the world who, you know, like Tobias and Ed Kim and, um, you know, less so myself who, who had never met each other ever in, in real life and, and, you know, start, start, start going through picking up all the, you know, looking at the wreckage and seeing how, if and how the wreckage can be reassembled into something that works again. Um, you have this huge community coming together of like retail traders who are very new to crypto. I mean, this happens in any crypto ecosystem that becomes, that gets meme momentum. You always have like this very diverse community that comes in and you have, and you have people who, who are really well versed in how crypto works. And you have a lot of people who are very new to it or in it for the first time. And there's that becomes a huge education challenge and a communication challenge. And, um, and that gives rise to all kinds of politics and fighting stuff out in public. And, um, you know, so all the, the good and bad things that go with that. Um, um, so I think, yeah, in terms of like what it, what I've learned or taken away or, um, I just think it's an ongoing experiment in true mass decentralization, basically. Like 99% of the of these crypto chains are actually very centralized operations with with uh, this bogus, you know, smokescreen of decentralization around them. And this is one where like the chain decentralized the hell out of itself with the hyperinflation to 6.9 trillion tokens from 1 billion or actually it was like 800 million. So um, you know, uh, and it, and it's also one of the few kind of truly distributed systems. A lot of, a lot of cryptocurrencies, they kind of remain in very concentrated in a pretty small number of holders hands. And the number of cryptos that become true distributed systems is very small. So I think, I just think it's a fascinating ongoing experiment in kind of what true decentralization looks like and what it can be harnessed to or directed towards to like build something really innovative that that can work really well or maybe or potentially not work well at all who knows so um somebody from the community would like to know whether uh they can expect you to continue to support the community with this work with your work I'll, as long as I have ideas that I think are, are, uh, do we just, oh, okay. I think I just lost you for a second there. I think as long as I have ideas that I think will boost the value of the, of the token, I think I'll noisily be making them. And if I run out of those ideas and don't have much to offer the community anymore, then, then I probably. I should probably move on, right? Um, but I think, uh, yeah, as long as as long as I'm, I think I'm value added to the conversation, I'll be a part of the conversation. All right, so, let's go ahead. Let's see through. Um, maybe let's see through the other uh, community questions here, uh, and let's pick some. Uh, one, two, three, or five, uh, whichever you want to cover. Uh, and let's go over it, I would suggest. 
Oh, you're talking about from my side. Okay, let's see. Yep. All right, give me a second to bring these up. Uh, okay, I I got here Faluna. Do you think it will be possible instead of minting new LUNC to fundraise by maybe bringing a small tax on validator commissions and um, and rewards to go into a pool that will be in place until we reach the required amount? I would say no. That is not possible. That is, I mean, probably not because the validators are the the stakers and the validators are all paid out of the Oracle Rewards distributor of uh, which contract, which has a very specific amount of money in it. Uh, it has the it does have the three hundred billion uh, or so LUNC, which is very important for any proposal that involves recapitalizing anything. Um, um, but I would say, like that's the pot of money that pays out stakers and validators. So, so my my sense is that that unless we go with a very limited uh, stablecoin like thing that is that has small circulation, is BTC backed, um, and kind of leaves the USCC holders behind, I would say that is definitely not going to be enough money to to make it happen. Um, let's see, uh, who else? Nope. Um, what else? Lunk Arabic. Good morning, Alex. Can minting new LUNC be avoided? See, um, yes, it could be avoided. Um, in certain in certain scenarios of this proposal, um, but it comes with uh, opportunity costs. Uh, so that's something that the community has to decide. Um, what about seed funding uh, from holders of uh, USTC with different ratios from existing circulation? Um, that I don't know how that could work um i think that i don't i'd have to i'd have to understand that question um another guy says how much ustc do you hold it's like it's like whatever dust from the from staking rewards that i that i got uh like actual uh, staking rewards on the chain not staking rewards staking rewards um uh it's tiny it's probably like $10 US dollars worth or something. I'm not sure. Um, what else? I'm, I'm looking in there are way more comments in the in kind of the YouTube. That, if uh, all the proposals were put on a table, hypothetically, how would you sell yours to the community? Um, that it is the best option? I say my idea takes what I think made made Terra unique and makes it better and preserves the uniqueness that Terra has within this, the stablecoin and stablecoin-like market. And I would, I would presume based on what I've seen thus far that 
Well, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna say anything about about those other proposals because I haven't seen them yet. Um, but I would say, if you want kind of you you know differentiation and uniqueness, which is ultimately what's gonna drive adoption the most, I would say, go with mine, and you'll have the the most successfully adopted stablecoin like uh, instrument that I think is ultimately gonna gonna be the best investment for the community and and ultimately deflate Luna Classic supply by by far the most. Hmm. Uh, yeah, maybe, uh, Alex, if you go on private chat, you can get all the questions there. Oh, um, oh thank if you. you. Have the comment section, then it's much okay. more... Um, a little bit. Clear, uh, a little bit the view, yeah. Okay. Okay. So Re now the, the AMA yeah. question is, is opened up again. Yes. Uh, okay. Community question. Really short explanation why USTN is necessary over USTC for people who just who just tuned in. Um, creation of a new token seems sensitive to some people. So basically, in our original plans, we we did want to work with USTC, uh, the U with USTC. That was our default, and we did want to kind of preserve the whole th that same token and the history as like a cautionary tale. But we decided that. By doing USTC, it's a lot more legally complicated to kind of like move, take certain USTC balances from certain accounts and and move them elsewhere. Um, even just burn, just collapsing the USTC supply by like ninety seven percent, that a lot of USTC holders felt like that was really unfair to them because they were basically not being given a vote on the decision. Whereas if we just went with a completely new token and we left everybody's USTC untouched, then, then we, it would be a completely voluntary process where like there would be no like a majority is unfairly overriding a minority. So it was really for like like uh, democratic legitimacy, I guess, that, that we went for like and also a lot less potential legal complications that we decided that a new token would be better. Um, next question. If all the proposals were put on tip, okay, we I, covered uh, that already. Covered that one. Um, what are the others of this scenarios of this proposal where we can raise funds without minting? I'd say, I'd say, scenarios that kind of that basically write off USTC holders. Uh, I mean, it's it's that scenario. Um, um, community question. What can what you is, ask? What is Maybe Sorry, this one, uh, what if USTC holders could optionally redeem USTC for USTN on-chain prior to a new mint? Could this possibly decrease the uh, required dilution of LUNCE, so L-U-N-C? Uh, I don't, I'd have to understand better how that would actually work. I can't, right now, I'm, I don't mm. understand the question well enough. Um, others 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 what else is in here uh we, we go with lunk or i think i think luna c luna c was was a popular one earlier uh definitely not loons though <laughs> <laughs> um what else uh why on the day sorry i'm just looking through some of these questions Anything, Mia? Anything else from your side in terms of in terms of uh, new questions, or do you, do we think we've given a good rundown? 
Yeah, so I've been following the the questions here on the side already. And I think we covered about sixty um, percent uh, of the questions, and now a lot of them are repeating. Uh, okay. So some of these, I, th I think we're we we covered the the basic of it, basis of it. Okay. Um, well, I think um, we could probably we could probably wrap it up then. I think. Um, for community members, if you felt like like your question wasn't covered, uh, just just hit me up on Twitter. You can you can always ask your question directly to me on Twitter, um, or um, and you know we'll uh, look forward to continuing to follow this uh, this cage match uh, go governance cage match. Um, I think it's been it's been fun so far, and I think. I'm sure the community will ultimately decide decide what's best. So, so a comment from my side, uh, I would say that uh, this whole case study is super interesting to analyze dynamics of different factions fighting for power, uh, commercial benefit, but also um, mitigating risks from the regulatory and even, I mean. Um, uh, prosecution side uh, in a war where staking validation and protocol governance is, is central and uh, for this basis staking rewards uh, is positioned there to uh, drive this conversation and this whole story forward and uh, maybe to to pull a plug for uh, our staking summit that we are going to host at the 8th of November this year in Lisbon. Um, these are one of the key story points and topics that we are going to cover there. It's uh, going to be a full day uh, event in person, Lisbon in uh, capital of Portugal. And uh, yeah, if you haven't done so, please go and check out uh, the summit on stakingrewards.com slash summit. And I am your host, Marian Walter. And uh, it's been a great pleasure to have you on the show, Alex, today. And um, until then, see you next time on Staking Mondays. Thanks so much. Talk soon. Cheers. Bye.